The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Nebraska Preps postgame with Damon Benning and Jacob Padilla. That's that big voice guy. That means we're here for another week, a recap, if you will. Uh, it's a full-fledged smorgasbord because we've got to go through a lot. It's <laughs> Nebraska Preps postgame. That's my man, Jacob Padilla. I am ODB, and here we go. JP, how was it, man? I, six, what was it, six days for you? 32 or 36 games? 36? Thirty six, including watching Nebraska in uh, the tournament game instead of one well, of them, and twice when I was talking to you, one time you were trying to catch what was going on with the Creighton game, the other <laughs> you were trying to catch what was going on with Nebraska basketball. Like, don't these people know that you're a busy man? <laughs> yeah, it's insane week every year, but it's fun too. This one is ju- just happened to be twice as insane as it normally is. Yeah, man. I mean, so where do you want to start? It was all <laughs> over the place. You and I off pod, we're talking summer hoop schedules yeah. and who's playing where and who's going to fill all these high school openings, right? Because there are a few of them to be had out there. Yeah, we got a lot going on. It's crazy. It just throughout the week, you kept hearing more and more and every day. And like Sauter, Mike Sauter was going crazy because he had to write all these breaking news stories like in between games. He's like going nuts trying to talk to people and get this stuff ready while he's watching games and how much do you feel, real quick, the – maybe it's not so much the pandemic, but the last two years in schools from an educational standpoint has taken a toll on coaches and athletics? Yeah, that's that's interesting. Like, I haven't really talked to any of these guys to, like, get their thought process and on why now. But, like you said, there are a lot of guys moving up to – um, administrative roles, obviously Eric Barron's doing the same, uh, doing that. Um, uh, Brian Spichka m- moving up. Um, JJ Stoffel, we know, um, going to coach another year, but he's going to uh, move on up there too. So, um, and then you've got some some of the other uh, more experienced coaches uh, deciding to call it a career. Yeah. Uh, Dan Moore, it's a great run with Pillion the Vista stepping down. Like they're just so many openings right now. Nolan Riley leaving Elkhorn South, um, just going to be crazy to see how all these schools fill all these openings plus you've still got you've got new schools opening up especially uh and maybe more so on the boys side even though the girls is pretty good too a lot of good young talent coming back at a multitude of schools now those aren't necessarily the schools that have openings although we'll see what coach cannon decides yeah. uh at miller north the defending defending back-to-back state champs. Coach Etchemiller, you got to think, has got a good shot at, at probably getting that job if Coach Cannon decides to do anything. But there are a lot of schools with a lot of good young players. For sure. And so hopefully uh, the the schools make good decisions, able to find um, great coaches that can kind of lead lead these kids forward and help them uh, reach their potential. Yeah. Let's let's start all – let's go all the way down. Let's start in C1. All right. Um, one of the better – stories going obviously we had a a father-son tandem one of two to win state championships although this one for Ashland Greenwood and the Jacobsons are at different schools Um, but still 
special nonetheless, right, with the run that Ashland went on. For sure. And, I mean, they were we, – we, we sat here at, the, at this table talking all season long about how great the C1 tournament had a chance to be. And, boy, did it live up to it. it yes, it did. You had a, an 8-over-1 in the first round for a team that was making its first appearance in nearly a century – you had a record-setting individual performance in the semis, and then you had a game winner at the buzzer in the final. I don't think you could have asked for anything more for, from the C1 field. And obviously, uh, the when, with Auburn making a run back to uh, the what, fourth straight final, um, you, you knew it wasn't going to be quite as high-paced as the semis uh, against a Carney Catholic team where – uh, Ashton Greenwood, Carney Catholic, kind of going back and forth a little bit more, and um, it, it was going to be a grinder. Ashton Greenwood knew going in. It certainly was that right down to, to the very end. Yeah, uh, and how about this? How about Auburn finally not winning a close game? Yeah. Right? I mean, they went through it uh, in the opening round. For Calhoun took them down to the wire uh, in, in the, in the yeah. semifinals and winning in overtime. And this time <laughs> – Ashton Greenwood was the team that found a way to get it done. And it looked like maybe it was like, here we go again, Auburn. Ashton Greenwood pulled ahead uh, in that fourth quarter. And then Auburn made that run down the stretch. Maverick Binder hit that huge three after uh, for his first bucket of the game. He yeah. hadn't really got many opportunities all game long, but there he was, found the ball wide open on the wing and buried it um, to give them a chance there. They, they tied it up at the very end. Ryan Binder uh, drove in there and finished with contact. Couldn't get the... Couldn't get the uh, the free throw to fall for the go ahead uh, point, but um, Jacob Mose trusting Kale Jacobson, which I mean I don't blame him. <laughs> that's he, right. kids. It's always going to make the right play, and he's like, "Not going to timeout. Go, go see what we can uh, make happen." And um, it took their time. They had what like twenty some seconds left there, and took their time. Brought him off a, a ball screen, got downhill, and helped defender helped off the corner. Jacobson saw it, kicked it out, and Evan Shepard, who hadn't hit a three since, like, the first possession of the semifinal. He was 0 for 4 in the championship game. To that point, Jacobson put in the shooting pocket, rose up, knocked it down. Uh, buzzer uh, had sounded by the time it hit the floor. And you know, it was interesting, too. It seemed like for the majority of that game, they wanted to push Jacobson left. So I thought it was interesting that this, the screen came that way. He turns the corner and goes left. He did a good job of getting depth, too, because he didn't just come off the screen hard. He got downhill that really forced you to kind of collapse. Then he gets the much easier kick to the corner. I, I thought it was a thing of beauty, and he didn't panic. He was in a hurry without rushing. Yeah, and that's kind of his game. Um, he He's the kind of guy that can beat you in every single way possible. He'll, he'll read the situation and make the right play. And we talked about semifinal, 43 points. An efficient 43 Four, points. Yeah, 13 to 17 shooting, 14 to 14 from the line. Um, just an unreal performance. Uh, it made every single play down the stretch that broke the previous C1's single-game state tournament record of 41. And um, that – and. They needed every bit of it to, to kind of pull away from Carney Catholic at the end there. And just to go from that to scoring 12 points but making the game-winning assist yeah. uh, in, in the final, that, uh, that just kind of shows you the kind of player that uh, Jacobson is and, and the trust he has in his teammates. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Because, I mean, you could be criticized at some point if that shot doesn't go in that, hey, you want your best player to take the shot. But he made the right basketball play and was rewarded. For sure. And 
great story. Uh, um, great week for the Shepherd Clan. Uh, <laughs> Evan is uh, he he moved back to um, Nebraska from I believe they were up in Illinois. His family cousins with the Fremont Shepherds and. He hits a game winner for this championship day after Sarah Shepard and the Fremont Tigers win the Class Eight Girls Championship. So. Yeah, a lot, lot in that, right? And and listen, you know, if you're if you're Ashland and you get the thirty, what was it, thirty six, thirty three final, you, you had f- four times, four times in four quarters that a team scored in single digits. Points were very, very hard to come by. That second quarter, I didn't know if the fans were going to make it through. <laughs> I mean, they scored ten, ten, ten points. points total yeah. in that game, and you're thinking, holy smokes, this got Beatrice kind of game, or nothing Beatrice, Auburn's kind of game written all over it. Yeah, for sure, And but again, made the play down the stretch there. You kind of felt like it was going Auburn's way, but Ashton Greenwood's like, nope, this is, this is our time, and uh, heck of a shot. That's probably, uh, I think, the, the best moment uh, of the tournament for sure. What What did you make of um, the decision-making down the stretch for Auburn after the late flurry? Would you have been more aggressive, or do you, are you just thinking to yourself, well, you know, it's kind of the way that Auburn likes to play? Yeah, I think it's probably gave them the best chance to win um, versus – you go, you try to go any fat. The point is, you got to get points. And it was such a low scoring game. They didn't have to make up four possessions. Um, it was seven, I, I think, so, yeah. was the most it yeah. got to. Um, so they were able to, um, and with Ashram Greenwood kind of struggling a little bit, a couple of turnovers, uh, probably a rough call on an uh, offensive foul there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a couple of missed free throws in the fourth. Yeah. It's uh, kind of, it was bang, bang, but I, I get it where, you know, maybe folks from, from AG aren't, weren't super happy with the call, but I mean, bang, bang play. I don't think that one came down to officiating. No, uh, not, but uh, again, Auburn, that they, they did what they need to, to give themselves a chance there. Um, they played uh, the game out pretty well. So yeah, cr- credit to Ashland Greenwood. They made all the plays. Auburn gave themselves every opportunity to win that game. And uh, Ashland, Ashland had the ball last. When you're taking a look at, let, you want to hop up to B or go down to C2? Let's, uh, let's, uh, Let's go C2. All right. Let's talk C2. Again, another credit to uh, Humphrey Lindsay Holy Family. Um, Man. This unreal <laughs> run. <laughs> Death, taxes, and Holy Lindsay. Holy name, Lindsay. Holy. F- Humphrey oh. Lindsay Holy Family. Thank you. Humphrey <laughs> Lindsay Holy Family. That's a, the H's with the space yeah. in the middle, but that's why people abbreviate it. <laughs> um. Yeah, it wasn't the prettiest game. Uh, no. It wasn't the, the most efficient game. It, 43-42 in overtime was the final. Um, but it, it, I mean, another exciting game that went right down to the wire. And huge plays uh, by the Bulldogs. And then a, a near miss from GICC. They they had the ball last, down by one, uh, on the corner across from their bench. Um, or uh, across from uh, the other bench. They had to go the length of the court, uh, pulled it back, chucked it, perfect pass to, to Gil Jemmer, their 6'8 center, caught it and went up, had to go up quick. There's like less than two seconds left and just put it up a little bit short there. Um, would have been the game winner. They could not have asked for any better execution on, on that last play except for the shot going in. And you take a look at, at GICC's, I mean, they lost to York early, I think St. Cecilia and, I'm missing one. Carney Catholic got him, I think, earlier in the week. But 
that one's set up. And listen, when you're 27 and one coming into that one, like Humphrey Lindsay Holy Family was, you got to expect a, a, a pretty tall task. But once that thing got into overtime, you kind of felt like GICC was going to have the opportunity because they got it to where they wanted it. And Jacob Suits had fouled yeah, out. Fouled out uh, at oh, the end oh, of yeah. regulation. So they. Their best player, he's been the guy that they run their offense through all, all year long. Um, just had a great season uh, and fouled out and had to watch the entire overtime. You know what's funny about that game? A couple of those early fouls that he picked up, you don't think much of like, ooh, not not there, right? That's a little ticky-tack. Don't run the risk. I don't think at that time you thought that later on, like in the fourth quarter, that he was going to put himself in position to foul out, right? He there were a couple of those I think he'd like back on kind of some silly plays. Well, and uh, the the post game press conference was great where he had both uh, suits twins up there with Coach Hesse, and uh, I, I asked uh, Jason about um, kind of winning it for Jacob, and like he, he started his answer with, "Well, uh, Jacob kind of has a tendency to get in foul trouble, and it makes me really mad." Yeah. <laughs> so, like those two went back and forth the whole time, just like perfect. I mean. Those are brothers right there for sure. Um, but Jason stepped up. Um, they kind of ran their offense through him in the overtime and um, ended up going four for six from the free throw line, hit the, hit the go-ahead free throw, um, did just enough to get it done despite Marcus Lowry going off for 26, um, nine boards, just a tremendous performance. Um, Isaac Herbex, their leading scorer, and they just could not get him going. He dealt with foul trouble all game long. Uh, the, the Bulldogs really swarmed him, ma- made life difficult for him, uh, finished with just one bucket all game long before fouling out. Um, so credit to their defense. They, uh, Bulldogs got 16 apiece from the two Suits twins, and um, uh, not nobody else had more than two buckets. Um, so it really was a grinder, um, and they they'd made enough plays in that overtime to pull it out 6-5. to five. Yeah, I think. Jacob's ability to make free throws too really kept them in it because it was it was getting dicey yeah. <laughs> early on, but their ability to generate points from the foul line I think really helped them out. Yeah, eight eight of ten for for Jacob and six of eight from the free throw line for Jason. Um, and I'm pretty the Holy Family. zero for three from three, and uh, they won a state title. That's uh, that's pretty incredible. Um, and you look at this senior class this four year run uh, for the Bulldogs. 116 is their record over four years with three state titles. Is that and pretty a good? Final appearance. That is that. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I think so. I think that's pretty good too. And and to make that run in D1 over three years and then move up to C2 and have their best season yet record wise. Um, and when was that Jacob talking about when he when they saw the schedule come out and he saw the move to C2? It kind of just created a. A, a, a new challenge that they seem to embrace right from the jump. It was one of them. I forget now. Um, but, yeah, yeah, they, they they talked about that. And it's like, right away, they're like, all right, here we go. It's go time. And um, credit to Coach Hesse and, and credit to the Twins, too, because uh, Jason, first three years, was the guy for for, uh, for Humphrey Lindsay Holy Family. He was the leading scorer. He, he scored 1,000 points during his junior year, I believe. Um, this year – they changed things around, and Jacob, who's going to be playing baseball in college, um, J- Jason's going to play basketball. They're both going junior college, um, but they ran their offense through Jacob, and he had a phenomenal season. He's a little bit more of a the post guy versus Jason, kind of more of a perimeter, perimeter. guy. And um, they Hesse's like, hey, we know this um, shooting is uh, is up and down. You never quite know what you're going to get down at state um, from the perimeter, but 
post play, free throws, uh, buckets inside, you, you can uh, you can carry that to the state tournament. And so from the start, uh, I, I guess it kind of worked itself out throughout the season, but they, they changed things around, ran things through Jacob, and Jason was just fine with that. He played his role. He's still double-digit score. Uh, he kind of basically was their point guard for the most part. He, he, he ran uh, things uh, uh, quite a bit, handled the ball quite a bit, but uh, – Jacob was the one that they ran all their offense through, and um, the team really embraced uh, that change, and it, it paid off. Well, uh, when you're taking a look at this track record in terms of their accomplishments, uh, where do you kind of rank the dominance? We've seen some crazy runs from schools. Auburn just finished one, but most recently, where do you kind of where do you kind of put that in the grand scheme of things? Yeah, that's that's right up there. Uh, obviously, Cam Biner and uh, Auburn three straight titles, um, great four-year career there. Um, but the fact that they did it in two different classes and um, the, the two twins, obviously they've got plenty of teammates. I don't, not all of them quite play the same role as freshmen, but have those two significant pieces, freshmen through senior year. Um, again, 116 record. I, I think they mentioned, uh, I think Joe Hesse thought uh, – Lucas Vogt and Dylan Butler uh, might yeah, have hit that bl- century another mark. Another blast from the not so long past <laughs> with with Vogt. But but outside of that, like winning a hundred games in four years uh, is pretty remarkable, uh, and to do with that win percentage is uh, just incredible. So it's one of the the better kind of four year stretches that we've seen. Um, and, and then credit to the school too, because you flip over to the girls and they got it done as well. And they're down in D one still, but um, they yeah. up. Um, be, I was going to say upset. I don't think that's an upset, but in terms of schedule, right? I mean, yeah. the better Shelton had the better record, but I think Humphrey, Lindsay, Holy Family was probably the more historic program. Yeah, and credit to uh, Ashton Schneider, who had to overcome multiple knee injuries throughout her career, um, came back and double double twelve and fourteen uh, in the championship game to to lift uh, Humphrey to forty two thirty four win over Shelton and. Uh, they mentioned the girls were there kind of watching the boys win it all, and they're like, uh, this is awesome, but we want to feel that for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And kind of seeing that really fired them up. Obviously, you're going to be motivated anyway going to the state title game, but that gave them just that little bit more. It's like, hey, we want to have this feeling. We want to join these guys here. I'm sure they uh, probably want to make sure that the boys w- didn't have bragging rights as well. Hey, so when you're kind of – are you one of those folks – we saw it a little bit with Lake Waverly. We've seen it with Bennington where um, – a winning culture permeates a winning culture th- throughout the sports, or do you think that has more to do with sharing of the athletes in multiple sports? Uh, that's probably part of it. And I, I think that's a huge part of it in terms of if you've got multiple, uh, you've got athletes that are key players in multiple sports. Um, but it it really does, I think, come down to the leadership. And you said the culture and uh, a culture from one program isn't going to permeate to another if they don't have the right leadership mm-hmm. that can uh, that can emphasize that as well and create the same kind of uh, environment for their team. So um, credit to um, that that whole school for just kind of w- what they built there, uh, particularly with their basketball programs. Uh, you want to go Parkview Christian or what you want to talk St. Pat's? We can uh, we'll start on Parkview Christian real quick. Um, Sixty four forty eight win for um, for Parkview over O'Neill St Mary's in the championship. And this is a Parkview team that made it last year, and they um, they came up just short. Uh, kind of got handled a little bit from um, 
uh, Fall City Sacred Heart, I believe. And they lost their two leading scorers from that team and I believe four of their top five. And um, they brought back Michael Alt was really the only like significant contributor from that team. And they brought in some new guys, had some guys step up. And to get back here and get over the hump is an incredible accomplishment uh, for Coach Nathan Godwin and, the, and, and that team. And it's and it's Kachalewski, correct? Yeah, uh, Victor. Yeah, we just go with the V. Foreign exchange student from Belarus um, who nearly messed around and had a triple double in the championship game. <laughs> messed around and had a triple double. Ten yeah. points, nine assists, yeah. seven rebounds, just two turnovers. Um, terrific performance. Uh, Alt, uh, like I said, the one guy that was on this stage last year and played a big role. Um, Ulrich's ability to clean the glass. Yeah. Alt finished with nineteen points, five boards. Uh, uh, Jacquez Curry. Um, six, eight, uh, I, we, we won't try to guess at his weight, <laughs> but, uh, no f- phenomenal game, <laughs> uh, 17 uh, points, missed one shot, hit two threes, eight boards, uh, a few blocks in there. Like, um, just phenomenal performance start to finish. They got out, uh, to a 17, nine lead, uh, in the first quarter with 14 points in the paint. They were just getting out, running, attacking the paint. And they never settled down. They they got that big lead early and never let it go. Once they got past Fall City, once they got past Sacred Heart in convincing fashion, I think it was, I don't know, a 12, 15-point win, 40, I don't know, 15-point win, 46, 31, whatever that was. Did you start to feel pretty good that they were going to turn the corner? Uh, yeah. I, I, that had kind of yeah. been their bugaboo, right? Yeah. And, I mean, they, they made the tournament as a six seed, but kind of once uh, they got those wins under the belt early, like, okay. It may be sixty, but this team's got uh, it's got some pieces, and you see them out there. Like some of the players they have f- for that level, again, like you uh, you don't see like a, a guy like Curry <laughs> uh, too often at, no. at that level. Um, <laughs> and uh, all again had that championship experience. Um, he he'd played in that game before, and um, you know O'Neill St. Mary's had made it to state as well and had that experience. And that whole group basically came back from last year. Uh, credit to Aiden Hedstrom, who had a great career, kind of leading the way for them. Um, but yeah, it just seemed like once that game got started, like, oh, this, they're going to do this. This they just clearly look like the superior team from start to finish. And how about the barn burner with with St. Pat's and Loomis again? Another close back and forth. I mean, the environment as a whole and. It was either you or Mike that had one of the great pictures from the corner just panning. Oh, it might have been Dallas, sweet. I'm trying to remember who it was. Just looking at the all the people uh, at, at at PBA at one given point, whether it was the guys or the gals playing, were just unbelievable environment for some oh, yeah. of these close games. And especially for the past couple of years, obviously two years ago there was – very few people in the arena. It was such a strange environment. And even last year, it wasn't quite the same as right. we were kind of working way back this year, uh, especially for that Class A game. Like, there were people filling the, the upper sections there. Um, so it was just phenomenal environment. And some of these games uh, lived up to lived up to the hype for sure. You couldn't have asked for much more. And, uh, and you mentioned North Platte St. Pat, 65-57 win over Loomis. And... Um, just phenomenal performances from Jack Hess and Brecken Erickson, who's just a sophomore throughout yeah. the, the whole tournament. Um, I, I don't know what Erickson had for rebounds in the first game, but I know he scored in double figures all three games, and he had a double-double in at least of the last two. And then Hess, who has been a big-time scorer like early on in his career. Potentially, yeah. This, uh, in this tournament, he, he wasn't the leading scorer. He did everything else. He had, uh, 
he finished with 14 points, 7 assists, 7 rebounds in the title game. He had, uh, I believe, 7 assists, um, 11 points, uh, a few rebounds in the semifinal win. Uh, I was there, too, over Burwell. Um, so just kind of transforming his game to do a little bit of everything that his team needed him to and uh, putting his teammates in great situations to succeed. Caleb Munson had added 12 points as well. Um, so a great performance by North Platte St. Pat's. And then defensively, did a great job on, on Quinn Johnson and not letting him get any space. He made one three the entire game. It was one of six. And this is a guy that's the state's all-time leader in made yeah, three he pointers. he can shoot it. And he's the kind of guy that will cross you out double time, uh, triple crossover, step back, bury it right in your face. Like, they did a great job not giving him any space to, to get clean looks. And he tried to lead him back in that fourth. They, they, they made a push there. Um, but North Platte St. Pat's had built up a big enough lead that they're able to kind of hold on and win that thing. Before we get to B-boys and A-boys, I want to jump over to girls before we run out of time because I thought there were two really, really impressive performances. Starting in B, um, with the back and forth, you were in attendance for that one as well with, with Elkhorn North and Scott. Both on the boys and girls side from Omaha Scott, I was surprised at dominance is too strong of a word, but the level of efficiency in which both Elkhorn North and the Roncalli boys played with a both against both Scott programs. Yeah, and I I said this right away, like on that night of the sub district final, the back to back. Um, again, that's probably. The, the greatest best, environment, yeah. The, the single best day of basketball that I've seen this season, uh, combining uh, both games. Uh, but like, there's just no, like, it felt at that point, like, these are clearly the two best teams in B. We're going to see a rematch of this, uh, of both these games uh, in the championships down in Lincoln. And there's just no way that they could live up to this game. The the level of play. <laughs> Especially the, the girls game was back and forth. I mean, yeah. just great shot after great shot and trading baskets. And you, you had a game winner in the girls game and then an overtime game in the boys. Like, yeah. they're just an incredible shot making between the two stars going back and forth in that girls game. There was just no way that they were going to be able to match that level of play, um, I thought. And credit to um, Elkhorn North and Roncalli, who the teams that uh, won those, dis, uh, those sub-district final games for getting it done and doing it in dominant fashion. And start with the girls here, 49-36 win for Elkhorn North. And um, defensively, they are so good. They make life – they harass you full court. Glad, glad, glad you started with that because their ability to switch and run and jump yeah. is almost unlike any – I mean, Millard South, who plays 94 feet, yeah. even they don't really have the ability to get out and run and jump on the perimeter without giving up anything. And, and you, you do see them give up quite a bit uh, on the back end for yeah. what they for they get. Uh, and Elkhorn North, that just doesn't happen quite as much. They're a little bit more disciplined in terms of getting back. They're maybe not quite as aggressive up top because mm-hmm. they believe they can um, uh, they can either stop you in the backcourt or get you uh, take care of business in the front court. And um, they they made life just miserable. Scott. Five, five, and nine points in the first three quarters. Yeah. Um, and then they hit a couple shots late to, to kind of um, score a little bit there, but shot 31% from the field, made two threes all game. And that just wasn't – they're not going to win if they make two threes. And Britt Prince, just another fabulous performance, 21 points, uh, seven assists, six rebounds. Her fun- game has become so complete. I, in the semis, uh, I believe it was 29, 10, uh, six, six assists, yeah. four steals. Like, just – phenomenal performance you just and that's the thing like I, I tweet about like I think obviously her scoring gets a lot of uh, uh, credit and 
she's I think led class B in scoring for sure. Um, maybe the state, I don't remember. Um, but she, uh, she, her passing might be her best skill and her ability to set up her teammates and make high level reads and on the money passes. Um, she's just a phenomenal all around player and best player on the floor, uh, on, on championship day. And, um, that, that was the difference. What'd you make of, uh, what we saw in class A, uh, on the girls side, um, Kennedy Williams, obviously, the emerging star in a very growing, popular 2024 class with 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 both both genders. But I mean, man, then there's McCabe who just won't take no for an answer, uh, along with Shepard and company. So this is the one that I was not able to watch because it's or no, uh, yeah, or uh, sorry, the semifinal was not the one I was it was the one I was not able to watch. This one. Defensively, um, I mean, 69 total points scored in the game. Like, it was – offense was brutal both ways. There are a lot of – I think Southwest is going to be kicking themselves. They missed a lot of shots around the basket. Especially late. Man. Yeah. Um, really could have made the difference there. But, uh, again, both teams shot under 40% from the field. But um, credit to Fremont for defending without fouling. Uh, Southwest, 2 of 4 from the free throw line. And they did not make a three. Uh, Fremont didn't shoot well from three, but they hit four of them. And they got they were 9 of 11 from the line. And perhaps the biggest one was the one to take the lead late, where it's just like, boy, that is clutch. Yeah. Um, and Right? I mean, hadn't gone all day, but they, they made stayed, their run and then stayed with it. And McKenna Murphy drilled up from the left wing, I believe. Yeah. Um, it was huge shot. And at that point, that's kind of when Fremont took the lead and was able to kind of hold on down the stretch. But... Um, just credit credit to Fremont for the run that they've made. Um, obviously, getting so close a year uh, ago, coming back, bringing back almost all those pieces, uh, and making a run and finish it off this year. And great run for Southwest too, coming in as a five seed. Obviously, um, knocking off Omaha Central, another terrific defensive performance in that and one. Coach Barrett, uh, I mean, coming in first yeah. year. I mean, yes, you have good players, but still, there has to be the buy-in and and the the culture maintained. No problem there. Nope. And so just, jeez, I uh, just kind of looking at the box score here. It's just kind of crazy uh, seeing the numbers here that uh, just nobody was able to, the level of defense. Obviously, Kennedy Williams sets the tone on that end for Southwest. Yeah. And we saw in the in the, the semis, I believe, uh, she was the one. Handling that, the pressure from Miller South. And, and she was the one defensively um, that took uh, Maya Babbitt out of the game, uh, from what I heard. Yeah. And oh, yeah. That It was amazing how Babbitt couldn't get any good looks. And then there were these stretches where she didn't even get any touches. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Can't, she can't get free. Can't shake free. And I didn't know if that was more Coach Myers maybe not dialing up some plays to get her some touches. but Or maybe just confidence that Miller South could find other ways to score. But just got leaky on the back end with all the front court pressure. Lincoln Southwest made them pay fighting pressure with pressure. So, yeah, great defensive run by Southwest, but Fremont in the end uh, hit just enough shots to to take control of that game and, and hoist the the state title. First one for Fremont. Not bad, right? Not yeah. bad. Let's uh, let's close out here in our last couple minutes, and it's a shame that it's it's coming down to a couple minutes. We may just have to. We, we can extend it. Like, yeah, well, well, yeah, we're not on the clock for yeah. podcasts. We're just on the clock for camp's time. But well, and I think you got blocked out the next uh, time anyway. So, <laughs> so, so we're going to intrude on your personal time since you you were a little bit late here. Yeah, so we can let's, steal from let, that. Let, let's, let's do let's, it. Let's, let's, go, let's go over to Boys B with yeah. with. 
with Ron Cowley, basically led from start to finish. They, it was. I think they were up one or two at the end of one and never looked back. 14-13 at the end of the first, going back and forth like, okay, this is going to be good. And then second half, ten to three, or second quarter, ten to three, kind of stretch it out. Third quarter, thirteen to ten, stretch it out a little bit more. Fourth quarter, fifteen to nine. Scott just could not find a way to, to to make up any ground, and it just kept slipping away from them as the game went on. Despite uh, James Ninifu and uh, Grant Dvorak trying to to keep Scott in it, um, it just wasn't enough. And what a difference a game makes, or a couple <laughs> days makes for Ninifu, who had kind of had his way up into that point in the state tournament, just running into a buzzsaw. Ron Cowley was not going to allow him to get going now he he finished with a team high 16 points but it took him 16 shots and six free throws to get there um grant dvorak who had been quiet early in the tournament 15 points uh, hit three threes nine boards like he he was trying to get them there but credit to that ron Colley defense because you look at it outside charlie burt banked in a, a three late um kind of garbage time there well, they couldn't get him going outside of that they had three total points out besides Dvorak and Ninifu. You had three points between J.J. Farron and Jake Brack, who were terrific. Jake couldn't even get touches, which I'm sure they'll look back at that and say, you know, how did this matchup get away from us? But he couldn't even really get any, any good positions to score the basketball. One point. 0 of 2 shooting, 1 of 2 from the line, 2 turnovers. Yeah, that was unbelievable night. For a guy 6'8", um, who's getting significant Division One interest at this point. Uh, and he had some coaches there to watch him, I'm sure. And he just credit to Ron Colley. And the thing about them that makes him unique is just kind of the length and athleticism 1 through 5. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Brent, uh, Brent Heller um, is uh, kind of shorter there at 5'9", but boy, does he work hard and move his feet. How about Quincy's uh, performance? I called him the X Factor yeah. coming into that one. He had a heck of a tournament. Yeah, he, he did. And you just look at uh, Evans, 6'1", and long, look longer than that. Uh, or 6'3", Schwartz is 6'3", Lucas Brown, 6'5". How about, six, or, five, how about or six, defensive? Four, six, and that's not going to get enough credit. He is one of the better two-way players going. Uh, and I, I asked uh, um, Coach Stoffel about that and kind of just – what his versatility unlocks for them. Because you see him guarding fives, you see him guarding ones. He'll guard uh, whoever you need to. With with those guys, they can switch so many ways because of guys like Schwartz, who is 6'3 as a guard um, in, in the backcourt, or 6'3 can guard anybody. Evans, really long and athletic. Uh, um, and then uh, Brown's athletic as well. Um, he's got some good height on him. So um, they just, phenomenal defensive performance. I think this is probably the single most impressive defensive performance I saw in the tournament. Yeah, they um, held Scott to single digits in two of the four quarters, and in their double-digit quarters couldn't muster more than 10. Yeah. Which, if you'd have asked me going in, I'd have told you I thought you were crazy. And how about Scott's ending to what was once on course for a magical season? Do you remember? And I know you do because you don't yeah. forget anything. I would ask you questions like they're playing against perfection. They're their own benchmark. Yeah how could they ramp this up to stay dialed in up until state tournament time? And then, lo and behold, Ron Colley gets some two out of the last six games. Like, that was an unbelievable performance from Ron Colley. And the crazy thing is, so you look at the season series, it's 2-2, two to two, two, two. points scored for each, 213-213. to two thirteen. Yeah. I, so I, I tweet after it, so uh, when's well, the rubber, for a rubber match? match. Yeah, let's, uh, <laughs> anybody got a gym that we can set this up at? Because uh, I want to see round five. Yeah, I, I just think, I mean, since 
what was the 23rd of February, because that was that Wednesday, that Ron Colley has won two out of their last four or five games out against Omaha Scott, which nobody's making that claim. No, just phenomenal run uh, by this uh, Crimson Pride team. And I remember a couple years back with uh, Dotzler and Tayden Red and, and that clan. Uh, um, uh, and they just. I think were we were we part of the Tayden Red fan club? I think, I think we were carrying that banner. I just, uh, I just liked him a ton, especially for a smaller guy that competed his brains out. Great family. His dad's hilarious. <laughs> um, but, uh, and uh, just they came so close they had to survive those double overtimes crazy in the semi um to get so close and then just not have enough left against scott in the final here we are a couple years later right back in there and they're able to get it done get over the hump this time um so credit to that program for kind of persevering keep building because um you had obviously the great run with that class and then they kind of fell yeah. off last year yep. um and they they were a fine team but they ran, ran into a buzzsaw team. was that districts where they ran into platteview uh might have been, or was it the tail end of the season where I'm like, I just don't think they're going to be able to score enough. Yeah. And I was at that game in person, and I thought offensively it was, was going to be a struggle for them to find points. But the way that they guarded this year and the evolution uh, of a couple of guys to step up. Schwartz and uh, and Evans, those two guys, the leap they made from the junior year to yeah. senior year, um, I think made all the difference in the world for them. Because we knew, or we talked about him highly and how, how productive he was, even as a junior, when they weren't winning as much. Um, as a senior this year, just kind of being the playmaker, um, setting everybody else up, and those other guys really stepped up offensively this year. So uh, let's let's hop over to A because that one we we talked on the show on on Friday, and I, I sometimes I wish we could grab both you and Mike on the same day, just because I know you two have different perspectives, even though you guys both do the same job. I basically drummed it down to this. I said if. It's a wash between the 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 Dotzler, Kyle the third, Jason Green, kind of Dolazo or David Harmon. I think is kind of how I phrased it. If I gave you those two, that I felt like the X factors would be, which younger guys kind of stepped up. I called it kind of the battle of the class of 2024 because those are those next integral pieces. And it was no disrespect to Enselman or Stuvi. I just felt like it was going to be that next wave that were going to be key, the Jaden Jacksons, the Eldon Turners, uh, the the Jacob Ropes, those guys kind of filling in the blanks. And it turns out that it was Harmon's aggressiveness and his ability to get downhill and Miller North kind of sharing the offensive load much better than I think Bellevue West did. Yeah, and you – Jane Jackson stepped up early, really got them going. I finish. thought, and he's streaky. So when yeah. he got going early, I'm like, uh-oh, these are the kinds of games. I've seen him go, you know, six of nine. He's had some five of eights yeah. where he can really get going from behind the arc. But then he had some buckets inside. He had a couple of key yeah, and one late. Very um, good offensive yeah. rebounder because he's sneaky bouncy. But there are just these strange stretches where I don't think he gets enough shot attempts. Yeah. I, I just don't think Jackson gets enough shots in order to really see what he's capable of doing. Yeah, and then you mentioned sophomores for Miller, uh, Miller North as well. Isaiah McMorris had some really tough buckets that I think were important stretches. Yeah, uh, especially early yeah. on where the, I felt like, gosh, is Bellevue West going to pull away with this game from, from this early? Yeah. And he kind of kept that together early on in that game. And so that that was big. And then, like you said, 
David Harmon, best player on the four for long, for most of that game, finished with 26 on 9 of 16 shooting, 6 of 7 from the line, 2 of 3 from 3. That was a big key. Yeah, he hit the 2-1. Yeah. He, when he hit those first two early, I'm thinking to myself, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, if you if you start letting him make perimeter jump shots, he's going to get downhill. Added eight rebounds, including a couple putbacks. So um, just uh, Bellevue West could not keep him out of the lane. And then – the difference ended up being Jason Green. I, I said, well, we talked about this before. I kind of felt like um, we get in the game here. Jason Green is going to be the best player on the floor. And the start of the fourth quarter, he just said, all right, we're winning this game. And Did came it out. defensively, too. That's exactly. So both ends. Came out, took a charge, then um, set up McMorris on a great cut for a layup. Then he blocked uh, the, the set, Yeah. And it's. Met him he, at the rim. Well, and the. Uh, on this, I think that's the one where uh, Dozer actually got him up off the, his feet, yeah. and he hit the ground and got back, back up, up and blocked he, it he, on his he, second jump. He hit him with the pogo yeah. stick, uh, right? Doink, and, doink. And, and then after that, he tipping uh, to put them back up, and suddenly, um, after that little flurry, they're up twelve. It was a close game uh, early in the fourth, and then uh, that was basically a ball game. They, um, Bellevue West hit a couple of threes late, and you kind of got that feeling. Oh, is it happening again? Flashing back to, to two years ago when they gave up the 16-0 run to lose the game. Um, yeah. But this time, too, too little, too late, and Jason Green told the guy, like, hey, in the huddle, I'm not letting us lose this game. We're not losing this game. And they were able to – they uh, hit some free throws and then got a stop. Uh, and then Harmon was able to close the game out with that breakaway dunk. Maybe it's just because I have a strange affinity for William Kyle III, who kind of dominates our top, our, our talk – kind of off pot and sometimes on just because of his evolution and I think his work ethic and his ceiling is 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 pretty high because you you just seen him progress over these years but didn't you get the sense during that game that he needed more touches preferably in like the third quarter and I don't know if it's necessarily going to be off of set pieces but maybe like a two-man kind of game between he and Dotzler considering Dotzler handles the ball so much and William Kyle III shoots such a high percentage where you're like, maybe they could have calmed that game down, maybe playing like a two-man game between the two. Yeah, by the way, that, that percentage was 82.6% for Kyle in the state tournament. He Ridiculous. did not miss until he made his first 18 shots uh, before finally missing. Uh, and Not surprised I, I, hearing yeah. that number out loud, yeah. just watching how efficient he is. But I really felt like he could have compromised Miller North defensively. So I, I, I really do think Green's presence in the paint was so in Bellevue West heads and in Dotzler's head in particular. You look at it. Um, you got to go at him, we, we know how talented of a player he is and what he's capable of. But 15 points on 5 of 19 shooting. And Are you talking about lot, Dotzler? Yeah, a yeah. lot of that was... Him trying to uh, avoid uh, avoid the shot block, kind of contort his body in the air, put up really tough shots that just weren't going down. And that I think a lot of that was Jason Green, who I think only had two, three blocks in the game. Uh, but the- Remember, we, we, we talked about the physicality in which Miller North can play with and how I, I don't think, at least the times that I've seen him, Bevy West responded very well to being touched physically, kind of pushed – uh, where they hold those hard hedges off of those ball screens where, you know, those guards, you see them kind of get knocked a little bit, where I just – I don't think that's how they prefer yeah. to play. And and Millard North excels at it because they play so hard for 32 minutes. Yeah, so ultimately, Bellevue West only had 30 points in the paint. And I think – I just don't think they made great decisions. Uh, 
just based on the way that Miller North was defending them, again, Green's uh, presence was the biggest reason for that, but then they had, obviously, some, some length and athleticism around him. And Were you I, surprised that Oropa only had the four field goal attempts, or is because of the matchups, which we talked about, how, who, who would he guard? How would Dolezal or Green be able to pull him out away from the rim? If Miller North went small, where would he be? I felt like they kind of took advantage of him defensively, but he didn't get a lot of offensive opportunities either. Yeah, and he had some really nice plays early, and you're like, okay, so going into it, uh, I had not seen, as we do this podcast, I had not seen Bellevue West since a rope was back oh, okay. down okay. the stretch. Okay. So the tournament was the first time I got to see them play with him. Um, and so and with some There's of the stuff some give and take, on, isn't there, yeah. right? And like I was like, like okay. prep, prep went right at him. And made him guard, but in return they didn't have anybody that could guard him yeah. either. <laughs> and it does change them, give them a, that high low game. There is a l- different way to use both Kyle and a rope. He had some great offensive rebounds, um, knocked down that three in earlier rounds. Uh, but um, it, early on, it, it did look um, like like okay, here we go. He made some big plays, but like you said, they were able to neutralize him down the stretch. Only played twenty minutes, six points, and. Dolezal is kind of Dolezal is kind of the the, the senior a, that's the kind of the forgotten guy there of that group. Com- obviously, completely agree. We know Harmon's story and um, kind of the, the fantastic rise and the great senior year, and everybody knows Jason Green at this point. Uh, but Dolezal is a guy that he just had a phenomenal game. Ten points, missed one shot, uh, five rebounds, two assists. Um, he was out there playing defense, like you said. Um, just I, I think he really was the key. he and McMorris. Uh, at, like getting those guys to supplement what Green and Harmon did, that ultimately was the difference because uh, WS couldn't get enough to, to overcome that when you've got four different guys scoring nine-plus points with Harmon kind of leading the way. And how about Miller North from the foul line? I think they finished 14-17 and 17 yep. from the game. Two of those three misses were, were by Isaiah McMorris. Everybody else was either perfect – or Harman only missed, missed one, one. Yeah. and that was David Harmon, who went six of seven. I mean, you go fourteen of seventeen from the foul line in a game like that at that level, you're going to win more than you lose. And eight of eleven in the fourth quarter, um, which so where was enough to kind of hold on to that. So um, credit to Miller North. We um, we talked about all season, kind of this the jockeying up top with the, the three seeds, uh, and they all beat each other. They all played well in different stretches. Uh, but by the end of the year, Miller North had really put it together, and uh, that was a phenomenal. 67-57 was the final on that one. Um, so credit to Miller North getting done back-to-back with two very different teams. Obviously, Green was Agreed. on both, but this year's team is completely different. You had Harmon and Dozal stepping up after playing minimal roles last year off the bench and being lead guys, not only best players, but leaders as well. I think the junior class will be led by the Jake Brax, the Connor Millikens, the Tate Advadis, the Josiah Dolzers of the world. When you're taking a look at next year, is it the twenty? Is it whose 2024 class steps up? Because between Gretna and Westside and Bellevue West and Millard North, you have some really, really good 2024s, just to name a few. Omaha South will boast a few. Um, how do you kind of look at, the evolution of who takes the next step. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. To be honest, uh, I think my brother asked me this question kind of, all right, so who's losing the most and who's bringing the most back? I was like, I have not even had any time to to even think about that at this point, just kind of the marathon that was uh, the last week. So I haven't really started thinking, all right, who's bringing back what? But it is, I think you mentioned uh, kind of the the names at the top of 2020. 
23 class, but it is going to be that 2024 and how they kind of fill out the rosters throughout, uh, particularly in class a and some of these other yeah, level you, well, schools. You take a, you take a look at just, just take Miller North and, and Westside, for instance, who lose a Meeks, a Logan Wilson, uh, uh, you know, uh, or Reggie Thomas, a Payson Gillespie, uh, Charlie Davis, a uh, uh, Jason Green, a uh, David Harmon, a uh, uh, Dolezal, but you get a real young influx Bellevue West may be in the best shape because Dotzer will be a senior. Uh, they You've bring got a back rope to replace Kyle. As, as part of that sophomore class, you get Stuvie coming back. You get Eldon Turner uh, and those guys, Jaden Jackson, who were part of that 2024 class. When you look at seniors, it's going to be Oddbody, Dotzler, Milliken, Jake Brack will probably lead the way with, okay. with those respective schools, right? And then I think Southwest is right in, in Smith. In a, this is they're gonna have to make the run this year. Obviously, Pius last year, this year was their kind of um, when the seniors yeah. kind of came together and all right, there's a chance to make a run next year. I think Southwest like they Ben Hunziker is a huge piece to lose, yeah. uh, and they obviously lose a couple other the seniors, Gluga. but um, they, they've got a really good. I think their freshman class was really good this year. They've had some, some really good sophomores on their JV team. If some of those guys can kind of step up and fill out the, the roster holes. And then you come back, and th- that junior class can uh, or Ryland Smith kind of leading the way there. They've got a chance to make a leap this year, um, but they're going to have to go out and put in a lot of work this year to, to kind of take a step forward from what we saw this season. Because we like them both coming in, and then they kind of petered off toward the end. But Ben Hunziker was kind of the heart and soul of that team, so that is going to be a difficult piece to replace. But they've got some a lot of young talent as well. Hey, congratulations to all our state champs out there, boys and girls. Jacob and I were happy to bring it with you, bring it to you. Fifty minutes of good stuff on this week's podcast. Who knows what we'll do next week? Maybe we'll give ourselves a one or two day vacation. I don't know. We'll see. We're going to transition. It's a little too soon for football, but. Uh, Ask and ye shall receive. We'll be back with more. We'll figure out a game plan on what's next. But whatever it is, don't you miss it. It's Nebraska Preps postgame. That's Jacob Padilla. I am ODB. Production.